Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, we all know what a baseball manager does, but what does a baseball general manager do? Manage generally? We'll find out from Peter Bavasi, who was GM of the San Diego Padres before he went on to be the first president of the Toronto Blue Jays. He's also the son of legendary Dodger general manager Buzzy Bavasi, the subject of Buzzy and the Bull, a new book by our own Ken Lezebnik, who has just taken advantage of the fact that he writes this billboard to plug his own book. Really, Ken, do you hear me plugging my novel, Schrodinger's Ball, a tender and hilarious story available on Amazon? I don't think so. Plus, Duckgate. Remember the episode that was littered with ducks quacking all over the place? It proved very divisive. We'll hear from nobodies who love duck soup and nobodies who told us to duck off. I'm Adam Felber, the man who tries to keep this show's conversational roster stocked with topical bench players who can close out a discussion. And now, please welcome the woman who loads her mental roster with free swingers who have no conversational plate discipline at all. That's a baseball reference or two. Paula Poundstone! Yay! Welcome, Paula. You know, Ken nailed it. I That's what I don't have. I don't have conversational discipline. But... You know, no, <laughs> I no, no, really, Adam, really. But I, in my defense, I have to say, I guess I don't know if it's an age thing, a COVID thing, uh, uh, because I have the pod puppy and nine cats. I don't know, but lately now, I cannot keep a thought in my head. I, I, I put stuff okay. in the refrigerator that doesn't belong there, like my neighbor's corpse. Um, <laughs> your, your neighbor's corpse. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can I cut in here for a moment, Paula? Because I have some great evidence of your lack of conversational discipline in that yes. you didn't introduce tonight's house band, master oh, of so old time American fiddle and banjo, <laughs> who is the founder of Cheeky Parlor Recordings. <laughs> David Bragger is our house band tonight. Let's welcome Woo, him. Thank you, David. No. All right. Now back Hi, to your lack of conversational discipline. Hi, Adam, and thanks to tonight's house band, a master of old-time American fiddle and banjo, who is also the founder of Tiki Parlor Recordings, David Bragger. Thank you so much, David. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, couldn't have put it better myself. What kind of asshole would blow right by and not even thank you, David? I can't imagine. Um, Yeah, you know, I wasn't socially adept before, but with the pandemic, it's it's only gotten worse. I'm I'm around dogs and cats all day. Yeah. I, I went to a friend's backyard the other day and I started to talk. I don't think I shut up for an hour. I only knew it was I can't time imagine. to go because, 
the, the only reason I knew it was time to go is they were scratching at the door. Your and neighbors? You know, yeah, they, to get in to their own house. I, I can't oh, I afford therapy. So what I've been doing is talking to the parking lot ticket taker near my eye doctor's office. And she says it's stress and, and that I owe three more dollars. Uh, okay, you know what? Now, now I have broken every social convention since I've been on uh, today. You know, I haven't, I, di- I forgot to thank our house band, uh, yeah. David Bragger, originally. And right. uh, we've heard both Tony and Bonnie's voices, but we didn't even say hello to them. So I let's, just... uh, let's fix that problem. Go around the horn and say hello to our, our two participants. Um, first, over somewhere in the Simi Valley, probably in bed, it's Bonnie Burns, Captain Crinkle, <laughs> our producer, your manager. Bonnie, how are you? Hi, guys. How are you? Just uh, good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a four. Does that mean anything to anybody? I'm a four. I'm a nine. I'm great. And, you know, I'm no longer prone. I'm doing my things. But I have a tip I want to give to the nobodies that I've been <laughs> meaning to mention for a lot of weeks now. Okay. I wanted to pass this along. Okay, so there's this thing that's called nonfat powdered dry milk. I don't know if you know about it, but it's milk with no preservatives at all. It's just non-fat milk, vitamin D, and it's fortified with vitamin D and vitamin A, I think. So this is what I do. I put it in my coffee. We have it at home. When you put it in your coffee, because it's not liquid, it doesn't get your coffee colder, right? Isn't that great? Right. And then... You don't have to worry about buying milk and having it spoil in the refrigerator, especially now, COVID times, you don't have to go grocery shopping because it never spoils. So you're saying if you drink coffee and you don't drink milk, non-fat dry milk is the way to go. No, it's also perfect like if you're single, you don't have to worry about like buying milk and the carton of milk spoils, so you have to go buy a new one because you've got the nonfat powdered milk. What does you that just... have to do with being single? Well, whatever. You're at home and you don't have a lot of people <laughs> drinking milk. I think that dating sites need to really hit this milk thing hard. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to parse out why you would... Uh... I mean, I guess it's easier to just pour some powder into your coffee than it is to uh, uh, let milk reach room temperature before you add it to your coffee. No, but, okay, the thing about those creamers and everything, they have a lot of additives and a lot of, like, you know, those soy bean kind of fats that are really bad for your heart. This is just pure milk. You know, Adam, what you're not taking into consideration is that she's single. That's such an important (laughs) part of this story. She's single. You know, <laughs> another thing you could do if you're single and you didn't want to be is go out with somebody. Or you can get a powdered date. Have you ever tried a powdered date? <laughs> those are those can be terrific for the single people. Yeah, oh, my gosh. It's so great because you can keep it, like, in a closet. and then, Your date you will know, last forever. And then when you're ready, um, you pour water uh, into him. And then keep him in the refrigerator, uh, you know, for months. Bonnie, I think it's, I think it's a good tip. I am skeptical that uh, 
that powdered milk is really as tasty as real milk. Um, but I, I think for a cup of coffee, it sounds like a good idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Am I the only one for whom it felt a little left fieldy? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. <laughs> yeah. I don't just have out anything of the, else to say. Just out of the blue, you bring <laughs> up a powdered milk. I, I just, hmm. <laughs> no, well, I'm out a, of things to say. I've had a perfectly good be, week, but it's like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> could that be part of the reason you're single? Like that you've gone out on a date, yeah. and yeah, if this is your, if this is your conversation, Bonnie, I yeah. can't think of anything sexier. <laughs> yeah, the guy says, "Man, you milk. look unbelievable," and you say, yeah. "Thank you." You know, I've been putting a powdered milk into my coffee. That could be. I'm starting to see a problem. Yeah. No, yeah. Not know, only Bonnie, is powdered milk not sexy, as Tony points out, but it it it, it doesn't even work as a metaphor for anything sexy. You know, no, you can, no you nobody will be, ever be able to say, like, I'm going to go pick up some powdered milk, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, you're on a date, and you're across the candlelit table, and you say, you know, have you tried powdered milk in your coffee? It doesn't make it go, get colder. God, shoot me. You know, the thing is, yeah, or you order coffee at the uh, an intimate little coffee shop, and then you pull your Ziploc plastic bag out of, out of your pocket and start dumping in some sort of powdered crap. That just, you know, and then you know it's wow. kind of it's kind of crinkly and a little bit uh, dirty, and you hand it over and say, "Would you like some?" Yeah, so far. Yeah. Yeah, and the well, sad part is that's true. She's probably been with me when I've done something <laughs> like that. Uh, now, moving on um, to the person that I I don't want to move on. Of. I want to just keep talking about the powdered milk. I, I just think there's so, so much badly. there. <laughs> I just I, I, I want to I want my whole life to be powdered. I just want a powdered life. I want to have powdered <laughs> powdered activities. Just oh I want to have God. powdered emotions. You add water. <laughs> And you just feel so happy. Oh, this is so wrong. I do want to move on to the person who I've come to think no, of. No, Adam, as, I have to as, tell you something. You know, yes. I heard Trump. I heard Trump say the other night that powdered ballots are going to cause a lot of fraud. It's going to, yeah, it's going to, it's going to make the, the election a sham. Yeah, the powdered ballots are a nightmare, and they're sending them out. You don't even ask for them. They send them out, and you get the powdered ballots. Uh, <laughs> It's something we've got to keep our eyes on it, Republicans. Got to keep your eyes well, on that. Um, let's move on to the person that I have come to think of as the antidote to, to segments like this. Tony Anita Hall. How can I top powdered milk? Woo! It's a tough one. Um, so, Tony, what's new? Uh, so I just opened up my Robinhood app to see how much money I made in the stock market today. Oh, and how'd oh, you do? I made $2.85. Whoa. How much had you invested? Um, so overall, I've made about forty dollars. I invested a hundred and forty, wow. and I've made forty-one. You invested a hundred and forty. Wow! I invested a hundred. That is impressive. Forty about two months ago. You are good at this stuff. 
So in two months, you've grown $140 into $180. Yes, I have. Wow. So if you made $2 today alone, about how much powdered stuff can you get with that? How much powdered milk, Bonnie, do you think she can get with that? Powdered milk king, Bonnie Burns. You know. Bonnie, have you invested in big powder yet? No. Powdered milk's not that cheap, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Of course it's not. (laughs) So you you can get, it's $3.19 at Target. Powdered, non-fat milk. Comes in a box. Did you just look that up? I did. I'm sorry. No, the box, Um, the box, the box isn't that good. What Tony, brand was the box? Tony, did <laughs> you just look that up? There's certain brands that taste better. I than did. Others. I'm sorry. It's the it's the it's the Target brand. If no, we could just stay focused on the show I am. instead <laughs> of googling powdered milk. I was curious. Okay, Carnation is four forty nine for nine yeah, and a half good. ounces. They're, that brand is good. Wait, would you that turn that fucking thing off? You're still googling. Stop it. You know what? Let me just flip on my vacuum here and do a little vacuuming for a few minutes. This this is not the time to invest or do chores. We're doing, you know, podcasting is kind of relaxed, but that's a bit much, I think. Can you hear me? Can you hear me from the shower? I'm wondering if I could just get a quick shower. Jesus. Well, I don't want to brag, but while you guys were talking just now, I invested in Carnation at 635 for share. <laughs> So, uh, eat my dust. Yeah. You know, any podcast, the w- well, the way you make money is through the advertising, obviously. And we really want to advertise, uh, and we do this, um, we want to advertise for companies that we do feel very passionate about. So if anybody out there has any kind of a powdered business, please get in touch with us. <laughs> Yeah, please. Because oh, you know what? We do have a sponsor that's powdered. We have that. Um, we do hydrate that sports drink. That's so good. Hydrant is fantastic. Yeah, it is good. I tried it. I I enjoyed it. Um, and Google, you might want to go with us, Google, for your advertising because uh, even during our show, uh, we're still googling. Not me, but the others. So that's good. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know what, Adam? I have a word this week. I'm not surprised. Uh, in these uncertain times, isn't it good to know that I have a word? The word is pernicious. It's an adjective that means having a harmful effect, especially in a gradual or subtle way. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. Putin's skilled information campaign has had a pernicious effect on our democracy. Um, now, I have a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot of that word. So let's add it to my vocabulary song. Um, okay. This week's word is pernicious. It's an adjective that means having a harmful effect, especially in a gradual or subtle way. I'm spending more time on the computer every day. Last week's word was impunity. It's a word that means freedom from punishment or from the harmful results of an action. He fell off the roof and didn't end up in traction. The week before that, we had phlegmatic. It's an adjective that means unemotional and calm. Oh, look, I just drove a nail through my palm. Going back before that, we had quotidian. 
Get it? Get it? Quotidian? It's an adjective that means happening every day, daily or ordinary, like a maner eating a blueberry. And not long ago we had gaucherie. It's a noun that means awkward or unsophisticated ways. I haven't used a napkin in days. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do. Woo! Yeah, Paula. Wow. On four, oh, no, on I think four. I did her. Oh, I think I did it wrong again. I think you did it great, Paula. No, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. Oh, my gosh. You know what? Sometimes it's just been such an uncertain and stressful time. It just feels good to uh, rock out on the Glock. Yeah, you you are definitely rocking out with your Glocking out. Uh, No (laughs) doubt about it. waiting for it. Um, Yeah, and I'm available. I'm available for um, socially distanced uh, birthday parties. I can just drive my car up to your house, stay in the car, and rock out on the Glockenspiel. Just, just reach us through paulapoundstone.com. And uh, she's not using uh, Glockenspiel as a euphemism for anything. No. No, I'm no, playing she the She would drive up rock. to your house and rock out on her Glockenspiel. Rocking on the Glock. Rocking on the Glockenspiel. Right. That's absolutely right. <laughs> uh, coming up, Buzzy Bavasi said, I get tired of hearing my ball players bellyache all the time. They should sit in the press box sometime and watch themselves play. We'll hear from Buzzy's son, Peter Bavasi, who watched thousands of baseball players play, both with and without the belly aching. That's coming up when we return on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself a whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft (laughs) (laughs) 
and so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so, it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Rosemary Wood said, Move the chair closer. <laughs> Thank you, house band David Bragger. We are back. Paula, big news. One of us, and I'm not saying who, has a book out. One of our own. Ken Lizemnik wrote a book. Ken Lizemnik wrote a book. Yay, Ken. It, it's, it's about baseball. It's called Buzzy and the Bull. Ken, who was Buzzy and who was the bull? Well, Buzzy Bavese was the legendary general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 1950s and the LA Dodgers in the 60s. And he led the Dodgers, that he led that team to four world championships. And the bull is Al the Bull Ferrara, an outfielder for the Dodgers in the 60s who said, if there was an off the field Hall of Fame, I'd be voted in on the first ballot. And uh, my, my book, Buzzy and the Bull, chronicles their unlikely friendship and revolves around the Dodger championship year of 1965, which was, you know, 55 years ago. Wow. Ken, that must have been a trip writing that book. It was it was actually a wonderful uh, experience because I got to sit down with the bull once a week and talk to him for about a year and hear about his wild and crazy life, um, which led him from the streets of Brooklyn, where he grew up in Brooklyn as a kid, uh, to playing for the team of his dreams, the Dodgers. And he was a Bon vivant, uh, he he had a sort of wonderfully crazy life uh, that involved a lot of romances. And because he was in L.A., it included such sort of sidebar uh, little side gigs as appearing on the TV show Batman in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of Catwoman's henchmen. And, and, and later in his life, he became a, a maitre d' at a Sunset Strip uh, restaurant, even though he knew nothing about how to open a bottle of wine or 
how to toss a salad. Uh, he was just a great larger-than-life character. And, his, and, and Buzzy, Buzzy Bavese was a fantastic general manager. Well, we have Buzzy Bavese's son with us on the phone, and he's a he's a baseball giant in his own right. He was general manager of the San Diego Padres and the first president and general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He's here to explain what a general manager does and how his father did it so well. Please welcome Peter Bavese. Thank you. Thank you. Now, now you know that uh, Buzzy and the Bull. The book that you're discussing tonight, Buzzy, uh, yes, was my father, a longtime general manager of the Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, general managed the club to eight pennants and four world champions. And the bull is Al the Bull Ferrara, one of the most mischievous major league players ever to put on a uniform. And he was a great favorite of Buzzy's and all of us at the Dodgers. So it's so- Buzzy and the Bull. Buzzy and the Bull. Now, let me ask you. So you made, um, did you make that pilgrimage with your dad? Did you guys move from Brooklyn and Ebbets Field out to Los Angeles and, the, and uh, into the ravine there? Yes. I was just a kid at the time. And uh, Buzzy really was either New Yorker, born and bred, and did not want, really want to go out to the West Coast. But Walter O'Malley saw a pot of gold out there and decided to abandon Brooklyn. Uh, for the West Coast. And as the story goes, you have uh, uh, Mussolini and Hitler. Uh, We have O'Malley, Mussolini, and Hitler trapped in a room with an aggrieved Brooklyn Dodger fan holding a pistol with two bullets in it. And who does the (laughs) aggrieved fan shoot? O'Malley, (laughs) twice. (laughs) Because he moved the team? Is that why? That's it. I'm going to open for you next uh, time you go out on the road. (laughs) So, Peter, I think I get what the players on the field are doing for the most part, but what (laughs) does a general manager do? Now, you see, you would put me on that spot. Well, uh, you have two eras of general managing. Uh, One was uh, about 15 years ago, and then before that, uh, the general manager ran both sides of the business the uh, revenue-generating side of the baseball business, and then the baseball side, the player side of the business. And uh, today, it's split. You have somebody running the business side, and then you have a a special guy who does only player personnel work. And that uh, man uh, is typically called the general manager. And uh, he um, arranges for the scouts to go out and, and look at the players, to sign them, to them in a farm system to develop them and then to bring them up to the major league club the objective being that uh, you uh, win as many games as you can and right. perhaps win the pennant so so this general manager term made more sense really when they did both sides when they did the baseball side and they yes. did the uh, the commerce side as well that makes yeah. sense to be called a general manager now it's sort of specific manager wouldn't you say it's split. right I um, my last job in baseball was president of the Cleveland Indians and I ran both sides of the operation and then a few years after that uh, the owners began splitting it uh, frankly, I mean, uh, I used to sleep at the ballpark many nights, and uh, but there's just not enough uh, time, energy uh, to uh, make both sides of the equation work properly if you're one guy. You slept at the ballpark because you were so busy that there was no point going home. You'd just have to get up and come back to work. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. And and did you sleep on the outfield? 
<laughs> in the office. Oh, oh man. If nobody was there, I would sleep in the outfield. <laughs> I love it that you'd look at that perfectly manicured field the next day and there'd be sort of a sleeping bag mold on it, like grass <laughs> sort of pressed down. You go, wait a minute, I think our GM slept here last night. Um, All right, so if... If you're doing the player's side of the mathematical equation, um, right. how does the general manager, how do they choose the players? Well, um, the scouting uh, and uh, analysis of players uh, back before the split in the organization was done by uh, eyeballing the players and saying, well, this guy... Uh, he can play in the big leagues. So he runs fast. He hits and so forth. But now, uh, more recently, it's all statistics and metrics driven. Uh, the young general managers today uh, are school. They come out of the very finest of universities, uh, advanced degrees, and they are all trained in what they call sabermetrics, which is a baseball statistics to, to the tenth power. Uh, when we were coming into the game. Statistics were important, but they were less important than the uh, veteran scout eyeballing the player and uh, determining whether that player had the uh, fortitude to be a good player, whether he had the guts and the uh, instincts to be a good player, which statistics can't tell you. So uh, it's a different game today. Uh, it's a wonderful game, but uh, it's different. And uh, mm -hmm. the neat thing is that the kids today who are playing uh, the professional players, they love the statistics. They were all raised with uh, uh, computers. They love the idea of being able to watch themselves in action with uh, several different camera angles uh, so that they can critique their own uh, pitching uh, style or their, their hitting mechanics. But wait a minute. So who then brings to it that more sort of intuitive, I mean, if you have all these statistics and everything, who brings to it that intuitive, like um, Tom Smith uh, finding Seabiscuit or like Red Arbeck finding uh, Havlicek? Who brings that where the stats aren't necessarily there? You just sort of look with your eyes and you go, wait a minute, there's something here that someone is missing. Is that still a part of it? Yes, the best baseball organizations, Paul, are those that employ the strategy which you just described. And that is, on the one hand, they have uh, all the statistical analysis, but on the other hand, you have veteran scouts who are giving the general manager input on the uh, uh, psychology of the players. Uh, and it's up to that general manager to meld the objective and subjective parts of uh, the equation. So, is a scout different from a general manager? Well, uh, yeah, here's how it begins. Uh, the scouts uh, uh, are probably the most important employees in the baseball organization. They begin looking at players when they're very young. Uh, some are just uh, you know, freshmen in high school, uh, even the Pony League. And then they uh, follow these kids all the way through high school and college, and then they draft them, and then they go out into your farm system, and eventually uh, they come to your big league club uh, if they have that sort of talent. So the scout uh, begins the process, and you have various types of scouts. You have the free agent scout who goes out and looks at the young players. You have scouts in the Caribbean and in Asia, because we're getting a lot of players from the Caribbean a ton of players from the Caribbean. And, There's also uh, from, pirates there. There's pirates. Right? <laughs> pirates of the Caribbean. Have they taken a look at them? 
No, they're in Pittsburgh now, Paula. <laughs> oh, my mistake. Um, all right, wait. Here's what I'm not clear about again. The scouts are are not the same as the general manager. Am I right about that? No, no. Many general managers have, uh, were scouts, and then they're, huh. they graduate to being general managers. And you have uh, various types of scouts, the, the amateur scouts and the uh, scouts were just strictly professional scouts. They travel around looking at the competition, uh, seeing who uh, you should uh, strategize uh, about and against when you play them. Uh, and then you have uh, cross-checkers who uh, are, are they're asked to go out and uh, compare uh, younger players. A uh, scout in the East is saying that he loves this particular player. Somebody in the Midwest likes somebody else. Uh, and so the cross-checker goes and looks at each of the key players and then, wow. then makes the determination who's the best of the three or four. That's so funny because on an airplane they do cross check, and I've always wondered what it was, and apparently that's it. Um, <laughs> all right, I realize we're we're talking about um, scouts now and not general managing, but just I am curious when you were talking about the sort of psychological elements of the player that someone takes a look at. How do they do that? They they don't like have them do Rorschach tests or something. Well, what they do, Paula, is uh, both uh, at the amateur level, the high school and college level, and even at the professional level before you trade for a guy, at the the kid level, high school, you are checking with uh, his coach, uh, his uh, teachers, the principal, uh, family members, uh, extended family members. If, if, if he's a churchgoer, you're asking questions for the uh, parish priest. Uh, you're no. trying to find out everything you can about the players, what we call makeup, the, the players' makeup, which is a very big ingredient. And a, a number of players that I know of have been turned down and we didn't sign them because uh, even though they were terrific, had terrific talent, there was something in there, their background or makeup that, uh, that we thought, well, we're going in another direction. Wow. So, uh, so the parish priest might have said, like, you know, he yeah, does, you know, he, he, he was in the choir, but he didn't always sing. Sometimes he mouthed to the words and then that kid's out. That's it. Yeah. Wow. That just um, seems like. Such a and the players are aware of this. This is not uh, new. Uh, I mean, they're aware, of that. and you tell them, "Listen, you know, we'd love to sign you, but uh, we want to check a few things here." All right. So the general manager does the salary no- negotiations. Is that correct? That is uh, that is correct. Uh, usually, uh, you're dealing with an agent for the player. Back in the mm-hmm. day, there were no agents. Uh, the player came in sometimes with his wife, who uh, would uh, beat on, <laughs> pound on the desk, wanting more money, <laughs> and they were terrific. And you always gave in. You you know you're not going to disappoint the wife of a of a ball player or the mother. Sometimes would come in, um, and then uh, it evolved to uh, where agents uh, represented the players, um, and to, in order to distance the player from the management of the club, which I thought was a pretty good idea at the time uh, because then there was no hostility between the player and the club. But uh, and it's gotten to a point where these agents have really uh, done a great job for their players. Uh, well, picking up on, picking up on what you said earlier about finding out if, a, if a ball player can accept disappointment. One of the ways you could find that out is by offering them 
very little money and see how they handle that. <laughs> That's a great idea if there's no Paula, other teams I, in baseball. You would make a great general manager. Oh, boy. Good, because yeah. I need a job really badly. Um, uh, so do all of the players ma- – I mean, are there players on a team that are making like a shitload of money and then there's there's guys that, you know, just get by – well, uh, there is a minimum salary that is uh, pretty uh, strong. It's, uh, I think $600,000 is the minimum salary. And then it leaps. Once a kid pl- plays one year in the big leagues and then a second year he's eligible for salary arbitration, and now his, uh, his uh, salary is just going through the roof. Uh, and uh, you can tell who's uh, making the most money on the club by uh, in spring training, looking at, at the players' parking lot and how many Lamborghinis <laughs> and uh, Mercedes there are in the lot. <laughs> Some kid drives in with a used uh, Ford pickup truck. You know, this kid needs a raise. <laughs> Either that, or he he does country music on the side. Um, yeah, but you but, would but, think- but Peter. Peter, what 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 kid earning six hundred thousand dollars is driving a beat up Ford pickup at this point? <laughs> the, the, the ones who have good priorities. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, in the summer of nineteen sixty six, Dodger star pitcher Don Drysdale was having a bad season. Buzzy Bavasi needled him in the press, and Drysdale turned it around. Buzzy then said, "Quote: I had to do something. Donald is not an eight and thirteen pitcher." So I thought, well. Needle him a little bit. So I'm a heel. Who'll remember I'm a heel if we win the pennant? Sure enough, the Dodgers won the pennant that year. Stay tuned to find out other tricks of the baseball general manager trade. The Cat of the Week is Griffin from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because when Helix first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect 
perfect mattress match in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, You know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. And we're back with baseball executive Peter Bavasi. Peter, welcome back. Um, I might have called you Bavasi a little earlier. Perfectly all right. We uh, we know. Is it? <laughs> no demerge yeah. there. He called Carl Yastrzemski Carl Yastrzemski, so you're in good company. You are, you are. Yaz yeah, never yeah. forgave me for that. Yeah, Retro, Rico Petrichelli, he used to say. So you're yeah. in very good, very good company. <laughs> but we've got you, uh, Peter Bavese. Let's talk about this book that Ken wrote about your dad and Al the Bull. What was it like for your father when Al the Bull was playing for him? Well, he loved, uh, Buzzy loved players who were a little different. Their uh, character was very strong. Uh, they were independent thinkers. They hustled all the time. They just knocked themselves out. They loved the game of baseball, and they loved to play the game of baseball. And they didn't really care how much money they were making as long as they got a chance to play. Uh, now, that's changed a little bit since. And Sounds like care it. a lot about what they uh, make. But Buzzy uh, sure. was attracted to players uh, who uh, were fearless, uh, who, as he called it, the nerves of steel, that had the ice water in their veins because the types of clubs he was building in Los Angeles and Brooklyn were destined for a pennant chase. He wanted to win the pennant every year he had a chance. And he did most of the time. Uh, And he knew that he couldn't do that with just everyday, really good players. He needed special players who had a special uh, temperament and outlook and, uh, were terrific guys in the clubhouse who got along with each other, who cared about each other. And so it was that uh, subjective part, again, uh, that Paula was talking about earlier, uh, that's so important. And and Buzzy uh, saw that in the players that he uh, traded for or brought up from the minor leagues. 
And uh, Al the Bull Ferrara was one of them. Johnny Padres was another. Don Zimmer was a, was a third. They were all cut from the same cloth. But Ferrara was, uh, he was especially fond of Ferrara for a lot of reasons, not least of which is that Ferrara liked to bet the dogs and the ponies. And so did Buzzy. So they had a, <laughs> something, and they have wonderful in common. And uh, uh, he, uh, he was a scamp, I guess you would call <laughs> That's a term that's not used very often, but Al the Bull was, was a scamp. He was just mischievous. He was not a bad guy uh, at all. He, <laughs> I'm laughing only uh, thinking about this uh, one story. Uh, we used to call it Ferraronomics. What's where that? Al, where Al the Bull Ferrara would come, he had a criminal mind, uh, and he's the first to admit it. Uh, and he would come up with the most wonderful ways of uh, like scamming Buzzy out of uh, uh, money for the racetrack or uh, getting an advance <laughs> or getting a raise in salary. And uh, the one time that he used uh, Ferraronomics uh, to the, a wonderful advantage was uh, in the middle of a season, he came into the office and said to Buzzy, uh, can I get an advance? against my salary. And Buzzy says, yeah, but you know what? Instead of an advance, I'll give you this advance, but let's take next year's salary, which is going to be about 30000 and you're not married with kids, so you can live on 15000 and we'll put the other 15000 at the security uh, at First National Bank in downtown LA, so Security Pacific, that the club uh, used as the bank. And we'll put it in a savings account there. And so that you'll be able to draw on it, it during the off season. You wouldn't have to come in looking for uh, uh, advances. <laughs> and uh, Al says, that's a terrific idea. And Buzzy said, wait, there's a catch. It's going to be, uh, we, I have to sign. You sign, I sign. It's a, a double signature on the card. He said, fine. So they arranged for it. And now <laughs> about the January, before they go down to spring training, in comes uh, Al, who was living in L.A., and he says, hey, can I get an advance? He said, well, we went over that. You have $15,000 you have in the, in the bank. And he says, well, uh, actually, uh, I don't anymore. He says, what do you mean? It needed my signature on the uh, to, to withdraw anything. He says, well... He says, uh, you know what? You better talk to Irene Tangy, who was the accountant for the Dodgers. So here comes Irene. <laughs> and Buzzy says, Irene, what is it? Al is telling me that he has no more money down at the uh, Security Pacific uh, in that savings account that I uh, was authorized to sign for. And he couldn't get money. She, he said, she said, Mr. B, he didn't get it out the conventional way. What he did, he went in and took out a loan uh, and the collateral was what was in the $15,000 in the bank account. <laughs> and, he and he depleted it. He'd go in and get, you know, a thousand here, 1500 there, and he depleted it. And the bank got their money. He got his money. And, uh, and Buzzy got <laughs> smoked once again. <laughs> and Buzzy loved, he loved telling that story. And it's in the book. I mean, there's so many wonderful stories between the two of them in the book. So you mentioned, you mentioned Don Zimmer. Did he yeah. eventually... He was a baseball player? He, he played for many years. Uh, and then the did he go do something like managing or general managing or something like that for the Red Sox? He, he managed the Red Sox. He managed the Padres. He managed Texas. He managed the Cubs. Well, one of the things I'm noticing, Peter, is that you say this person was a general manager for this place and a general manager for that place and a general manager for that other place. 
Is there a reason these general managers can't keep a job? Well, no, he, uh, yeah. well, <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> now, he was, Don Zimmer was the manager, not the general manager. He was the field manager. Same and, question. And, well, yeah, no, it's tough. Oh, my goodness, Adam will tell you, because uh, he's followed the Yankees and other clubs. <laughs> no, you, it's very rare that you have a manager that uh, lasts uh, in perpetuity. Walter Alston, who uh, started in the Dodger organization with Buzzy when they were in the minor leagues together and ended his career in Los Angeles after 23 years of managing the Dodgers on one-year contracts. Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Walter Alston, great, great manager. Wonderful manager. Huh. Uh, Bonnie Burns Bonnie Burns is my manager, and we don't even have a contract. So how about that? Um, <laughs> you have a handshake. Yeah, we did not, not even that, not during not COVID. Not even a handshake? No, no, no we I, can't. I, I, uh, Buzzy was telling me one day, he says, uh, I guess I was at Cleveland, and, and he says, you know, uh, in this business, he said, I never had a contract. It was always a handshake. He says to me, and you have a contract? I said, yes. He says, why? I said, are you kidding? I wouldn't walk across the street without a contract for these guys. They're impossible. We're talking about the major league owners now. (laughs) You know what? So far, the players, the owners, and the managers all sound a little untrustworthy. Frankly, the only person I've trusted in any of your stories is Irene. She seems like a straight shooter. But the others are a little flawed, I think. All right, let me ask you this, Peter. Do the players bring their own gloves? Because, you know, the Supreme Court people have to have their own robes. What a question. Yeah, okay, here's what they bring, and here's what they don't bring. Uh, The glove companies and the shoe companies usually sign the players to, to endorsement deals, and they give them free shoes and free gloves. So the, the ball players do bring their own gloves. They bring their own shoes. Uh, the club supplies the bats. The players bring their own athletic supporters. And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> right. And that's pretty much it. The club... Uh, Paula, the clubs now in the big leagues today, uh, under the union contract, they have to provide the players with uh, tablecloth-style dining in the clubhouse with two chefs, not just one, two chefs, and uh, surf and turf, whatever the players want, they uh, prepare for them. And uh, it's it's not like the old days where they come in and have a bologna sandwich and, uh, you know, give a dollar to the clubhouse guy and then they go out and play. Uh, this is, uh, when they say big league, this is what we're talking about, big league. You know, when we were in the studio before COVID, when we were recording all of us together in the studio, I brought the snacks, just so you understand that. <laughs> Good for you. A, a very yeah. similar quality. Uh, no, yeah. it wasn't really a very similar quality. It was, if I'm not mistaken, and it was much appreciated, Paula, but it was... It wasn't homemade so much as it was a bag of Doritos and a bag of double-stuffed Oreos, usually. Yeah, but now that I've heard this story, I'm going to use tablecloths when we're back together again. (laughs) Peter, did you ever have a player that was like a really exceptional player, but kind of an asshole? Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, there are plenty of guys like that. Uh, You find them more often on an expansion club, uh, which I had the misfortune of general managing at The Toronto Blue Jays. What is an expansion club? Well, where 
a newly launched team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just now you're you're uh, recruiting players, you're signing players for this expansion. You're expanding the league from say uh, twelve teams to fourteen teams. Mm-hmm. So, like the Oxnard Goldfish, that team. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the, the players that you tend to get on an expansion club are players that no one else wants. They're rejects and they're has-beens and used-to-bees. And it's a terrible thing for the, for the player uh, because he comes, they all come to this expansion uh, club uh, with uh, feeling badly. Uh, uh-huh. about their, themselves, their careers and all. And, and so you have to try to manage that as well as recognizing that they're not very good ball players. So you have a combination. Of, uh, uh, and then every once in a while, there'll be a real good one who uh, uh, disappoints you because uh, he's, he, he turns out to be the, the bad personality like uh, Pete Vukovic, I think. Was it Vukovic? Yeah, no, it's not. It was Mark Lemangelo, who's, uh, who's uh, I was going to send him down to Syracuse, and he picked up a, an ashtray in my conference room and threw it at my head, and it, it was a picture. It went right through uh, the uh, uh, painting on the other side of the room. Jeez. Wow. Right, squarely. And I said, you know, if you had control like that on the mound, we wouldn't be sending <laughs> you out to Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Oh, my gosh. That's great. <laughs> well, thanks to you, Peter Bavesi. We've learned a lot about how to manage a baseball team in the general sense. And now we're going to take that information and run it through the old pounce-tonator. Paula? David, if I can get a little of that great old-time banjo music right there on the background, I'll tell you what my takeaways are. One thing I learned, and the world of baseball seems to be one of the last frontiers to accept this, is that smoking is very bad for you. Will it have to take baseball's general managers having their brains knocked out by ashtrays to finally rid the industry of tobacco products? I never shared this with you nobodies before, but I was a pretty good baseball player when I was young. I could have been the first woman to play on a professional baseball team. I realize now that the junior choir director of the United Methodist Church in Sudbury, Massachusetts must have ratted me out to a Red Sox scout for being disruptive. And I can't even imagine what my second grade teacher, Miss Murphy, said that kept me off the roster. It sounds like, generally, the general manager hires the players, making sure the team is high in athletic skills and low in dugout skullduggery finding players who keep the team glued together and rejecting those who actually glue the team together. (laughs) He was the general manager for the San Diego Padres and the first ever president of the Toronto Blue Jays. The new book about his father, Buzzy Bavese, Buzzy and the Bull, is published by the University of Nebraska Press and is in bookstores and available on Amazon right now. And it's written by our own Ken Lezebnik. Oh, man, thank you so much for being on our show. Peter Bavese, everybody. So much Thanks, fun. Peter. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. It was so much fun having you. Peter, that was wonderful. My treat. Thank you so much. Adam, hang in there, those Yankees. <laughs> I didn't have the chance to, uh, to tell you that Reggie Jackson had come up to uh, our office in Toronto on an off day, and we were going to have dinner. And uh, uh, this was in 1977. And uh, Reggie, before dinner, he's saying, 
uh, talking about, um, come on, let's go. I'm hungry. I said, I got to finish this budget for crying out loud. I have to have it in tomorrow. He said, what are you working on? I said, the, the, the payroll. And he said, oh, payroll. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you think that ever there will be a $1 million a year player, a guy who makes $1 million? <laughs> I said, are you kidding? Of course not. I said, but if there ever would be one, you're the guy. And he said, so ah. of course, you know, four years later, the guy's making, I don't know, $18 million a year. So. What did I know? <laughs> and then he picked up an ashtray and flung it at his head. <laughs> that was fantastic. All right. Thank you so okay. much. Thanks ever so much. Coming up, Duckgate. Were you ready to quack back? Or did you think that we should lack the quack because it's whack? That's coming up right after this. <laughs> Fun fact, the scientific name for the western lowland gorilla is actually Gorilla, Gorilla, Gorilla. The western lowland gorilla name for scientists is Those Idiots Who Think We're Deaf. <laughs> And now we take you live to French Trump's weekly press conference in progress. Thank you. This is Xavier Sunjan Forsyth from The Guardian. You call yourself a law and order president, but if someone is a political supporter of yours, or like Roger Stone, who was found guilty of five counts of making false statements to Congress and tampering with a witness, you commute their sentence or pardon them. How is that law and order? It is law and order. It's customized law and order. It's like Etsy law and order. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. Next question, next question. Uh, Mr. President, Mr. President, thank you, Mr. President. Don Robinson with En Vogue magazine. You keep saying you sent in the National Guard in Wisconsin, but sir, it's the governors who call in the National Guard. It wouldn't even be legal for you to send in the National Guard. I do tons of illegal things. That wouldn't stop me. Oh, shit. I should not have said that. I didn't say that. And if Melania's ex-friend, Stephanie Winston Wolkoff, is here with a tape recorder, it'll be game, set, and match for her. Can someone ask Melania if there is any more space under the tennis courts? Next question! Next question! Gracias, Mr. President. Antonio Montoya with Telemundo. You said that you spoke with the family pastor of the family of police shooting victim Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. However, his father says they don't have a family pastor. No, 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 no. The fake news got it wrong again. I did not speak to a pastor. I was in a pasteur. A pasteur, not a pastor. Sometimes after spewing so much bullshit, 
I have to go to a pasture to replenish. Next question. Next question. Uh, yes, Mr. President. Yes, you. That beetle fellow. Yes, you. Yes, uh, this is Xavier Sinjin Forsyth of The Guardian again. You have recently encouraged your supporters to each vote in person and by mail. That's illegal, sir. Why would you ask such a thing? I want to win, no matter what. This press conference is over. And we're back. Hey, French Trump has his own weekly mini podcast, the French Trump Weekly Press Conference, and you can find it, gee, at the same place you're listening to us. <laughs> and let's give a quick shout out once again to house band David Bragger. Uh, now, Paula, a couple of weeks ago, the pod puppy, who's uh, no longer a puppy, played a bit of a prank on you and brought home um, ducks. Lots of to your ducks. house. Yeah. Right. And so uh, during the podcast, what we had to deal with, and I guess what our listeners have had to deal with, is just sort of a, an inordinate amount of quacking. During the podcast. Well, you know, the ducks eventually began to respond. They seemed to really enjoy my jokes, and that part I loved. But there were, a, I, you know what? It's the dog. There were a lot of ducks in my bedroom. Yeah. We've, I've, by the way, um, I've placed them with the uh, forestry service. Uh, so they're not oh, in the house Well, anymore. that's good. Yeah, I did. So you, fa- yeah, you farmed them out, but, you know. What it, it, a it cleaning was a- project. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was episode 110, was it not, Tony Anita Hall? It, it was. If you want to listen 110. back. Yeah. 110. And, and um, I mean, Bonnie Burns, it caused some problems for you because you, you had to edit the show listening to those ducks from Paula's house quacking at you the whole time. Well, okay, so I was the one in charge with deciding what the mix was going to be of the ratio of ducks to our voices. And right. So I worked with an editor on what that balance was going to be. And our beloved Michael Hoagie. Our beloved Michael Hoagie. And so, of course, what would happen is he would send me shows with the mix. And then it was like, are there too many ducks? Are the ducks too loud? And, you know, in the beginning, I even called Paul and said, you know, it's just really funny that you can hear the ducks and then the ducks just keep quacking. And how many people would have the nerve to do that? Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, but after hearing the show a couple of times and now we're into 20 minutes of the show, I got to admit the ducks kind of started sounding irritating. Then I started wondering, (laughs) is it just because I've heard this? Maybe they're sounding irritating to me. So I was sending tracks over to Paula to see what she thought. And Michael and I would go back and forth to see, you know, were the ducks too high, were the ducks too low? And finally, I said to him, just tell me what you think. And he said, you know what? I'm ducked out. I can't be objective anymore. I've heard the ducks too much. And so finally we just, I decided let's just go with what we have. The show comes out. And what I always do after a show drops the next morning, I go right to Facebook to see what the reactions are. And I was really astounded to see there were some mixed mixed reactions. And I thought, oh, we must have guessed incorrectly and the last thing i want to say about this is you know like when you go to a rock and roll concert and for three days you can hear like the music in your head i had three days of hearing quack 
quack, 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 quack. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I think I think a lot of our listeners uh, felt the same way, and they didn't even they didn't even make it through the whole show. Some of them, some of them were really duck triggered, and I understand it because in 1982, I went and saw the Who in concert. I was just a tiny kid at the time, <laughs> one of my first rock concerts, and I should have looked into the fact that it was the Who with ducks because um, it was a it was a very very upsetting night for me. Um, I wanted to hear all my favorite tunes from the the Who. I was like 14 years old or something, and instead I got. Um, I got ducks, lots of ducks. Yeah, don't even, don't even get me talking about when I went to see the birds. Right, well, you should have known. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so on that note, let's bring in Tony Anita Hull because Tony, um, some of our listeners had a a few problems with the ducks, and so with that in mind, I want to bring forward um, Tony Anita Hull, who's had to to field complaints on our Facebook page, which I recommend everybody visits, and via emails all week. Um, Tony, w- talk to us about Duckgate. Yeah, you know, it was uh, 50-50. People either loved the ducks or they hated the ducks. There was no in-between. So Okay, you want to read us some of the responses? Emails. Yeah, absolutely. So Andrew S. emailed us, no more fucking ducks. Please, I love the pod, but no more fucking ducks. You know, Andrew, I told, I do agree with you, but what are you going to do? There's ducks in the room. It was time to make the show. Uh, it's not like I could just throw them out. I, I didn't even know where they belonged. I got the forestry service. The ducks aren't here anymore. I apologize for the difficulty that you went through, Andrew. Uh, imagine me cleaning all that duck waste off my wood floor. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Tony, anything else? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot else. So we have, thank you for all the joy you've brought me, especially during the one-two punch of the pandemic and the Trump administration. But if I ever hear those fucking ducks again, I shall be forced <laughs> to lay aside the path of peace to which I have devoted my life. Peace be with you, Reverend Joe. Oh, so we have an actual reverend who uh, who actually typed fucking ducks, <laughs> so <laughs> and threatened to kill them. Wait a minute! Isn't isn't the afterlife, Reverend Joe? Isn't the afterlife supposed to have us all like the peaceable kingdom where we all everybody is together and there's animals and the lion lays down with the elephant or something like that? You're gonna have to live. You know what? If you believe in an afterlife, sir, you're gonna have to live with ducks. Uh, maybe, Paula, but you know what? It was never the lion ra- lays down with the duck. It was the lion lays down with the lamb, I believe, which, which lambs make noise, but uh, I would agree that the duck noise is um, is kind of uniquely annoying. So are we, therefore, are religious leaders now going to exclude ducks from the promised land? This is, you know what? I'm bringing the ducks back. That's not right. No, don't, Paula, don't do that. I don't think we should exclude <laughs> them from the promised land, but if the promised land has a podcast, we should think long and hard about whether we let ducks into the room. Tony, let's hear uh, some more. Wait a minute. Back up. Of course the promised land has a podcast, and we need your theme <laughs> songs for it, so please, write in <laughs> with your promised land podcast theme songs, and they're brought to you by Noom. Uh, all right, go ahead. So this is positive. This is from Jim S. in Tampa, Florida. I loved, loved, loved the ducks this week. Perhaps you can consider chimpanzees or maybe lions. The only thing better than the sound of chimpanzees is talking chimpanzees in clothes. 
like Lancelot Link. I don't know what that means. Oh, it was so. a television show from when we were growing up. Lance! Oh. Yep. <laughs> and that's what he wrote out. So those were a couple emails. We got a lot of Facebook comments. Um, this Wait, is from- so this was from Jim S. And let me just say, uh, first of all, Jim S., uh, the odds of my dog being able to bring chimpanzees or lions into my bedroom are very, very slim. I mean, I was amazed that she brought all those ducks in here. Um, but, you know, we have a, a, a park down the street from our house where there's ducks sometimes. So she may have gotten them from there. Uh, but let me just say, I love you. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, let's get some of these Facebook ones, Tony. Yeah, so Eric Keene wrote, I'm sorry, after about 10 minutes of the ducks had to delete the episode. <laughs> love, love, love the show, but that was just too much. Okay. All right, Eric, uh, you know what? I understand what you're saying. Uh, I just want to tell you that episode 113 does have chimpanzees. <laughs> <laughs> um, Donna Englehart wrote, I was really looking forward to this podcast and lessons about why we need approval, sadly. I was not only unamused by the nonstop duck soundtrack, but physically affected with pain and anxiety. <laughs> Definitely oh. not worth it. Okay. Pain and Back anxiety. Up, Donna. You know, we're all triggered in different ways these days, and I'll grant you that it's a time of great stress, and I'm sorry to have added uh, to your pain and anxiety, but... Oh, come on. So, all right. So <laughs> am, I'm assuming that your five-year-old birthday party with the petting zoo, you just flipped out? Ow, ow, ow. I, I don't understand wow. why they would have caused you pain and anxiety. But I'm wow. I'm sorry for any pain and anxiety I may have caused. Bad dog. Oh, you Bad didn't dog. cause it, Paul. Yeah, it's the dog's fault. Let's let's be clear. Yeah. Um, okay, Tony, is there, are there any others that you, or is this There's a representative? There's some positive ones. I don't want to focus okay. on the negative. So Marsha Dotson wrote, I'm 14 minutes in and have been laughing hysterically. Heart emoji. Oh, that's okay, nice. Well, that's Although nice. I will say a lot of people have said that they lasted 10 minutes. So Marsha may have just been four minutes more powerful than the others and then gone on to have hated the ducks like so many others. Um, you know, I am not a great dog trainer, but I've managed to get, you know, sit. She does a pretty good stay if she feels like it. But don't yeah. bring ducks in the house. I don't even know how to train that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the no duck command is really hard for dogs because they're they're kind of trying to bring ducks. A lot of them are bred for it. Exactly. Um, what did, wait, Tony, if I can be so bold, what exactly... Did Alan K. Parks say? <laughs> he said, I love the subtext of duck approval, so there. I love you, Alan K. Parks. <laughs> well, now, look here. Now, so, Tony, these these are wonderful. And um, listeners, we are listening to you. We know some of you love the ducks. And we know that some of you hated the ducks to the point where you didn't listen to the episode. And, in fact, it triggered physical pain or negative emotional reactions or even nausea. So... We've come up with a solution. I'm told um, by Bonnie Burns, and Bonnie can verify this, that our gifted editor, Michael Hoagie, has managed to purchase from the internet what's called a universal duck filter, um, which, 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 which allows us to differentiate duck noises from human noises and, and um, surgically remove, if you will, the sound of ducks from the podcast. So I'm 
Um, I'm happy to announce that we've posted a a show number one ten the the No Ducks remix. Um, wow, which will really help those of you. Bonnie, am I right? Have we managed no. to pull them out? Well, what do you mean no? Okay, no. I mean that was such a complicated explanation of what we did. We have a show, an alternate show with no ducks. <laughs> Okay. I just called your explanation complicated. I can't believe that. Yes, then. Then rather than tell you how we did it, it it's a it, magical no, it, no it ducks. It wasn't edit. any more complicated than we just took the ducks out. Well, anybody who knows anything about sound editing knows that it's a potentially really difficult thing to do. So no, I was just it wasn't explaining a how Michael did it. Do. It wasn't a difficult <laughs> thing to do at all. All right. So <laughs> thank you, Paula. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I want to have a little bit of ducks in every show from now on. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah. You know what? Not only am I going to have a duck on every episode, but Ed, I just cut myself in half again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are we are ready to trigger all of our listeners in any way possible. But once again, if you want it, you can find it. Episode 110, the No Duck Remix uh, with state-of-the-art removal of duck technology. (laughs) All right, Paula, it's been a tough year. Is there anywhere listeners can go to find a little bit of joy? You know, there is. I'm launching a new show, All Ducks, all the time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Yes, there is. The Duck Show with Paula Poundstone. Yeah. Um, No. I am launching a show called Nobody Asked You, starring Paula Poundstone. It's an over-the-counter game show to help with the symptoms of depression caused by the disaster factory that is 2020. Each week, two contestants earn points for what they know about each other. We tape via Zoom from my living room, so it also answers the nation's cry to fill the void left by lifestyles of the rich and famous. You can find it on YouTube and our social networks like Facebook, which is good because Vlad might want to know what we're up to. And for some therapy for your cats, try my handcrafted autographed pussy pillows, available at my store at paulapoundstone.com. And as if that's not enough Paula Poundstone for a lifetime, go to cameo.com slash paulap33 and I'll deliver a video message to whoever you want. I'll tell your mom that you love her or Mike Pompeo that picking up his laundry isn't part of your job description. That's cameo.com slash Paula P33. All right. And uh, Paula, if I may, I I just want to let everybody know that the Starburns Sunday Sports Simulcast is becoming a rousing success. And for those of you who haven't heard of it, that is every Sunday night now you can turn on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball and watch the game without volume. And for commentary, you go to YouTube and listen to commentary by famous comedian Jeff Cesario and me, Adam Felber. So that's Sunday evenings, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Turn on your TV, navigate to us on the Starburns Audio channel on YouTube, and me, Jeff, and special guests will give you the game. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it's super fun, Paula. We want you to come in and do an inning or two as soon as you can uh, get some ESPN piped into your house. Because although they don't um, officially support us, I'm told what we're doing is at least quasi-legal, and we'd love to have you do it. You know, I'm happy to be involved in any quasi-legal activity. Uh, (laughs) I don't get cable, Adam. Um, Yeah, I, I, I do know that. But at some point... 
this all this stuff is going to be over. We'll be able to get you to a location where you can sit in and do an inning with us. You know, it's not explicitly supported by White Sox announcer, play-by-play announcer Jason Benetti, who was on our show a few weeks ago. But he did um, he did uh, direct message me on Twitter and tell me he thought it sounded like a lot of fun. So oh, cool. I'm taking that as a full endorsement from Major League Baseball itself. Yeah. I, I don't see why it isn't. <laughs> now, why wouldn't it be? See, Adam, let me ask you something. Yeah. Do you have any ducks on that show? <laughs> uh, we, we, we don't, Paula. Not yet. No. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were to guest on it, you could bring a duck. You know, I'd love it if when there was a foul ball, you heard, <laughs> Oh, I see. It's a foul joke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, a, makes, that makes sense to us. It's a loosely tied in foul that, joke. Yeah. That, yeah, absolutely. We'll take it. Um, all right. We want to hear from all you nobodies out there. If you want to enter our theme song contests and succinct show descriptions or just drop us a line, send it to us at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Once again, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. You can find me and Adam on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're all over the place. And check out our Facebook page at Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Adam! Adam, answer the phone. What? No, Paula, we're, I, I'd almost made it out of this show. Come on. No, no, the phone's ringing. Answer the phone. Answer the phone. You know what? Here's an idea. Here's an idea, Paula. I'll do the ending credits of the show, and then we'll end the show, and then I'll get the phone. No, get the phone now, please. Jesus Christ. All right. Hello? Hello, Adam. Are you there? <laughs> yes, I'm here. I don't recognize this voice, which is kind of a relief. Who is this? This is Tatiana Oblonsky. I am Vladimir Putin's food tester. <laughs> food tester? So Vladimir Putin has a food tester. He is not a well-liked man. Yeah, no, I, I, I got that right away. Um, so you don't, you, don't, uh, you don't taste the food to make sure it tastes good. You take a little test of his food to make sure it's not poisoned. Right, not poisoned. And not a little bite. He takes a little bite. I eat most of the food, just to be sure. I'm always full, you know? Like, push away from the table and unzip your jeans full. Oh, that's a terrible feeling. I know that. It's not like the post-Thanksgiving kind of feeling, right? Right, Where you just right. want to yeah, oh, just feel awful. It's a terrible yeah. job. Putin is always hungry. He always wants more. There is no satisfying him. It's partly, of course, because he only takes a little bite of each dish. I have to eat each of his pelmeni around the edges to leave him just a little bit. Then, of course, he's still hungry. He wants beef stroganoff. I used to like beef stroganoff, but now I hate it. Oh, beef stroganoff. I love beef stroganoff. That's a, you know, I make a great beef stroganoff. Tell me, does he usually do with the creme fraiche or does he add the, the sour cream to it? Don't say sour cream. Oof, I'm nauseated <laughs> constantly. Sorry, I just love the creaminess of the beef stroganoff. Even if you don't have creme fraiche, you could just substitute sour cream, and it's fantastic. Stop it, please. Will you stop it? I think I'm going to hurl. <laughs> hey, 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 now, there's a guy named Ed who listens to our show who will hate the fact that you said hurl. He'll probably sue us now, and he'll never be able to eat beef stroganoff with sour cream again. Oh, Oof. my God, stop. Fuck you and Ed. Look, I've got to go. Putin is on the phone in the other room. I can hear him saying, talk to you later, Donald. He'll be wanting his blinis now. Well, enjoy your blinis. Bye, Tatiana. Goodbye, Mom. (laughs) Paula, Paula, 
did you hear her call me mom at the end of that? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't think she's able to talk freely. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Oh, thank you very much for explaining Tatiana to me. Well, she was caller number. What am I? What are we at now, Tony? Eighty-six in our no, hundred no, caller contest. She, no, no, eighty-eight. She, no, she was not a part of the hundred caller contest. I didn't hear. She didn't say a word about the hundred caller contest. Well, Paula, it's never been a rule of the hundred caller contest that you have to say that you're calling about the hundredth caller contest. Well, it's, it's just a you rule have to call. now. <laughs> Wait, what? No, she's number eighty-eight, and we're getting to the end of this. Please. <laughs> she can't hang out with you after the game anyway. She's Putin's food tester, for Christ's sakes. All the better. I'm ready to declare her the winner. Yeah, and she's, she wouldn't be All allowed. Right. She's not even in this country. <laughs> That's not a rule either. No, no foreigners accepted there. What the hell? We can't, there's, you can't, fo- no, she, no. All right, that's our show for tonight. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. It's hosted by Paula Poundstone. Yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Peter Bavesi, and thanks to our house band, David Bragger. You can visit David's critically acclaimed record label at www.oldtimetikiparlor.com. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Nita Hall, mixing by Michael Hoagie, Starburns production by the great Land Romo, and a big thanks once again to former intern Doug. Doug, we still miss you, and Doug's family, we know you're listening. Much love. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? I think these listeners kind of radicalized you on the duck issue because you didn't seem like a fan, and now... Of what, the ducks? Yeah. I just, you know, I think it was, for me, you know, I just think that Donna, if you get anxiety and physical pain (laughs) over hearing ducks quack, I think that there are other problems there. I I think ducknophobia is real. Yeah, when maybe she needs, uh, what do you call that, when they, uh, when they expo- exposure, you know, to ducks. Maybe she needs more ducks. Maybe oh, she exposure needs, therapy, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe she needs a Donald Duck-themed bedroom set. Wow. Uh, it's, I guess it's possible. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, you know, the ducks are gone now. doesn't matter. Quack. Wait a minute. Did you hear that? Quack, quack. Quack, quack. No. A podcast network.